0: It is a joy to be here. It really is. For those who don't know who we are, I looked at the picture, and I said, who's that beautiful woman holding me by the neck? (laughs) That'd be my wife. Uh, uh, We've been coming to Camp Good News and working with CEF for over 40 years. For the first 20 years, we were in Madawaska, and I worked 29 years at a paper mill in Madawaska, Fraser Paper. But during that time, we did Good News clubs, and we would come volunteer for a week of summer camp at Camp Good News. And my wife was usually in the kitchen. Uh, She was a counselor one year, and that wasn't her forte. She (laughs) loves to cook, so she was in the kitchen, and I was usually with a cabin full of boys. I loved it. I I did. Um, In June of of 2003, we moved to Camp Good News because they were looking for a year-round program director so I gave my employer a two years notice at Fraser Paper. Two years, I says, in two years I'll be gone. And Lord willing, that's what happened. Two years we were here. So from 2003 to, oh, I don't know, three, three years ago, I was the program director and my wife was the office manager plus in charge of the kitchen. And now the reins have been turned over to Jeremy Brown as the camp director. Jerry Saeed is the one who's the program director now. So the Lord has got a way of moving people around. And somebody asked me, are you going to retire? I said, of course I'm not going to retire. So I'm like an old recap. You know, you put, you, you put a, a di- another coat of rubber on that thing and you're good for another 30,000 miles. <coughs> so, but uh, presently I'm functioning as, uh, what Pastor Henry said, a representative of CEF. And camp. Good news, basically bringing an awareness of what we do at camp, what we do with Child Evangelism Fellowship, and how we can partner together with local churches for the glory of God in bringing the gospel to children, teens, and their families. Child Evangelism Fellowship has been around for a long time. There's 207 countries in the world, and Child Evangelism Fellowship is in 206 of them. There's one country that we are not in, and it's not a hit or miss. There is an established work. Whether it's a little bit rougher, but it's an established work in 206 countries. And North Korea is the only one that we're not in. Yet. So, but uh, we praise God for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for your faithful support for my wife and I. And also your giving to our sponsorship program. There are children who come to camp that don't have two pennies to rub together. And you, as you give, you you, you make it possible for them to come. So. We we praise you for that and we're we're excited. <clears throat> yes, I was at Moose Hill this morning and so it's not the same message. <laughs> so my wife says, Don't get mixed up. <laughs> I said, yeah, okay, that's right. There's nothing worse than a saved Frenchman, you know. <laughs> but you you and I you and I live in a fast paced system, don't we? Everything around us is changing so fast at such a rapid rate. Uh, our society has been known by people have put a label on it as a rat race, as a cutthroat society, as a dog-eat-dog world. But you know what? God is still on the throne. And souls are still lost, and they need to hear the gospel. And as far as technology, um, how many of you have just bought a computer within the last six months? It's obsolete. It's obsolete. Once you buy it, it's off the shelf. Something else has taken its plate. But that, that's what happens. Things change so fast. If you look at your baby pictures, obviously there's a changer. And if you've gone to a class reunion after 10 years of being graduated, you know, there's not too much change. You know, people hang around the same groups that they used to or whatever, but you go 40 or 50 years and you look at that and you go, man, these people have aged. <laughs> you know? And then... They look at you and they're saying the same thing. (laughs) So, but you know what's, that? that's change and it happens. But you know what's sad? Convictions change. You know what used to be black and white? Now to so many are in the gray areas. Standards are watered down. It's harder to witness to people because of the inconsistency of so many Christians who, you know, And you know what I'm talking about. Whether their testimony is shot and they're not willing to repent or they just want to keep on doing what they want to do. And uh, it, it gets tough. But I'm so glad that there are some things that do not change. God's word does not change. God does not change. He's immutable. It's a big word, but that means he does not change. The gospel does not change. I mean, we've heard so much about Mandates and mandates and you know what? The mandate to preach the gospel has never changed. The mandate to make disciples has never changed. The laborers are still needed. That's never changed. We read that heaven and earth are going to pass away but my words will never pass away. Man, we got dynamite here. We got dynamite but what do we do with it? The psalmist said in Psalm 138 verse 2 for you have magnified your name above your word. Your word above your name. I mean, I'll tell you something. We are living in a a day and age, I am so thrilled to be living in this day and age. Because knowing that God is not done with you, with me. I want to bring out this truth this morning. It's later than you think. It's later than you think. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you, Lord, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness to us. We do ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, speak to my heart. And Father, that we might know that you've spoken to us and that we would want to make a difference in someone's life for your honor and for your glory. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Get your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. It said, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. You see, in the light of scripture, I find no indication whatsoever that Jesus ever passed through Jericho in that same place ever again. There's nothing that says he did in his earthly ministry. For those who are here this morning, there's nothing that says you'll ever hear another message. You'll never hear another gospel message. You'll never be in this same place again. We have no guarantees of that. You know, whether it's through death or hardness of heart, things happen. But here we read that Jesus passed through Jericho. You know why he passed there? There was a sinner there. Isn't that an awesome thing? There was a sinner there. There was a certain kind of person there. And he passed through that. And in, in, in Jericho, in Jesus' day, was kind of like your modern-day Las Vegas. You know? You all heard of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Well, that could have probably stayed... Been stated, whatever happens in Jericho stays in Jericho, you know. But Jesus entered and passed through Jericho once. Jesus entered and passed through this world that we live in once. Once. And he came for a single purpose. He came to die for sinners. Verse 2 says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He was rich. I mean, Again, a publican is a tax collector, but more than that, he would have probably been, probably been called a modern-day mafia man. You know, he, uh, he, would, he would collect money from the Roman government, from his own people, but he would pocket more than he would declare. He would pocket more than, he, and it says he was rich. He was a rich man. Zacchaeus was called chief. Now, not an Indian chief, but he was called chief. You know, Zacchaeus had reached a high point in his life. He did And all men and women, everyone here, has a high point in their life. They have goals. You and I have goals. And when you reach that goal, that's a high point. Zacchaeus probably had reached the top of society's ladder as he knew it. He had arrived. What are your high points in life? What are my high points? What are your goals in life? Obviously, you're still standing, breathing. There's got to be something, you know. I trust that your goals or part of that equation would be 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I have to remind myself of that every day. What am I aiming for? Verse 3. It says, and he sought to see Jesus who he was and he could not for the press because he was little... Of stature. Zacchaeus and I would probably have seen eye to eye. (laughs) He he was little of stature. But what happened with Zacchaeus? He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see him, but the crowd was too great. He was short. How many of you like to climb trees? Huh? I'll raise both hands. I still like to climb trees. I work with children at camp. Camp, good news? Kids love to climb trees. You know, girls love to climb trees. And let me tell you, some of them can climb trees better than guys. But Zacchaeus, we read here, he could not for the presence. And he ran before and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him because he knew the Lord was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus took off and he ran ahead of the others. Why? Because he couldn't see. What, you know, excuse me, he couldn't see. The crowd was too, too too great, so he takes off. A sycamore tree usually has a smooth bark, and the first limb, the first branch, is pretty high off the ground. So it must have been a sight to see Zacchaeus, short in stature, trying to climb, grab a hold of that first branch with a slick bark on that tree. That must have been something to look at. yeah. But he was determined. Because he wanted to see the Lord. And he knew the Lord was going to pass that way. You know people get saved because they're looking for truth. They're looking for truth. And our Lord Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. No man. He didn't say I am a way, a truth, and a life. He said I am the way. Talk about being narrow-minded. You know, not an awesome thing. You, don't, you, you can't make a mistake. There's only one way. But he said that he wanted to see him because he knew he was going to pass that way. Nothing tells me that Jesus ever passed that way again. Nothing tells me that the message of the gospel will ever pass that way, your way again. When you share the gospel with somebody, nothing says they'll ever have an opportunity to hear that again. Nothing. And verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up. And he saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come on down. For today I must go to your house. I'm going to your house. That's a direct order. You know, There's no, there's no question. Uh, what did he really mean? No, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. A direct order. And he called them by name. You know how many children come to camp? And think they're just a mistake. Just the product of whatever evolution. And when you can take that child. And sit them right next to you with you. In a cabin one on one. And you go to Psalm 139. And you show them how they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there are more thoughts that went into making them. Than all of the sand in the whole seashore. I grabbed a handful of dirt. Sand. And there was a little guy there. I said can you count this for me? All the grains goes. I can't, I no, it's too many. And when I brought him to Psalm 139, he looked at me and it made sense. You were created by a master designer, someone who doesn't make any mistakes, and God does not make junk. So when you look in the mirror, you can see, wow, wonderfully made. There's somebody that cared for me. You know how many kids need to hear that? You know how many children and, and teens and, and families and loved ones? But he says, come, come on down. You know, Zacchaeus could have made all kinds of excuses. He could have said, hey, listen, it took me a while to get up here. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to stay here for a little while longer. I'm going to stay here for a little, I'm going to come down when I want to. I, I really don't believe you're serious. Nobody wants to come to my house. You know what I mean? How many, how many excuses have I given or have you given when you were presented the gospel for the very first time? Oh, well, I'm not that bad. Well, I don't believe that message. Oh, I believe you. It's good for you, but, you know, you have your way and I have my way. Or I'll get saved when I'm ready. I'm only 80 years old. I got all the kinds of time. (laughs) Or I'm only 10 years old. I've got all kinds of time. You know, we don't have plenty of time. It's later than we think. I went to a nursing home in Madawaska, and there was this Young lady there, she was in her 90s. I had gone to see my friend who they were prepping him so I couldn't go in the room. So, you know how hard it is to stand still and do nothing? (laughs) So I started walking and there was this lady, she was, her door was open and so I waved and she waved so I walked in. Didn't know who she was. I said, how are you doing this morning? She goes, I'm doing okay. Okay. You could tell that her body was a mess, but she was as sharp as a tack. So I said, uh, what kind of advice would you have for somebody like me? Obviously, you know, she's been around longer than I was. And she said, it depends how old you are. Interesting. She says, it depends how old you are. I was 40 back then. And she said about 40. And she was early 90s. So she says, life for you is going by at 40 miles an hour. She says, when you're 15 years old, life is going by at 15 miles an hour. And she says, she's in her 90s, and she says, life for me is just a blur. She says, if there's something that you need to do, you better do it now. Because at my age, all I can do is think about it. And I thought, that's pretty profound. That's pretty profound. And she says, if you need to make something right with somebody, don't wait till you're my age. If you need, and, and the, we had a great conversation. So it's later than we think. That's why when our Lord says, you know, today is that day of salvation, it's not tomorrow. You and I have no guarantees. But Zacchaeus here, back to Zacchaeus, he had a treetop experience. <laughs> you know, he had to come down from his high horse or high limb and look to Christ you don't look down on Christ and get saved you don't look down on him just a, a little thing Jesus is not second place when it comes to salvation he says if I be lifted up I will draw all men unto me all men and he and compares it to Moses you know as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness even so shall the son of man be lifted up that whosoever would call upon his name would be saved In Numbers chapter twenty-one, we and you can read that later. The people were always complaining. I mean, can you imagine? Moses had a—he was a shepherd of the sheep, and God was using that stuff, that teaching, so He would be able to minister to the whole nation of Israel. Talk about being taught in a rough place. But the people were complaining. And God would do a miracle. The people were, oh, "I'm thirsty." God, would, water out of a rock. You didn't have to hit it; water would have come out. Water out of a rock. We're hungry. We're, uh, quail, manna. I mean, it didn't. God always provided. And they're complaining again. The Lord said, "Oh yeah." He sent fiery serpents, and they were getting bit. And everyone that was getting bit was dying. Moses went on behalf of the people. And he says, "Lord," he says, "the whole nation has going to be wiped out. You got to do something." He said, Make a pole, put a brazen serpent on that pole, and anyone who looks to it will live. They'll live. I'm sure there were people that said, Yeah, right. As if. I'm a doctor, I'm a this, I'm a, you know, whatever. I'm not, that, that, that's crazy, that's foolishness. But you know what? The gospel is foolish. But unto us which are saved, we know it's the power of God. Look to the Lord and live. Zacchaeus here, he's come down. And he says, make haste. And you know what it says here? He received him joyfully in verse 6. He's not worried about what his friends would say anymore. He's not worried about what his family would say. He's not worried about anyone. Matter of fact, he probably didn't have any friends. You know? He's not worried anymore. Before I got saved, my life was a mess. I was in trouble with the I was in trouble with my employer I was in trouble with the police I was in trouble with my wife but I never realized I was in trouble with God and then someone came and for two years they'd drop a nugget they dropped me a little nugget and it'd be alright if somebody gave me a track put it in my pocket and I'd go to the bathroom I didn't have to face anybody I'd read it and the Lord decided to convict me so i get invited to go to a Bible study first thing what will people think? Oh, So I knew it was at a mobile home on a certain street. So I said, I'm going to go. They invited me, I'm going. I'm not saved. But you know how many times I diverted not to go in there because I'd meet somebody walking the street? I didn't want them to see me go in there because I was concerned what they were going to say about me. But here's Zacchaeus. He came down and he received him joyfully. You know, as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the son of God, the daughters of God. Maybe a month ago, I was in Virginia speaking at a missions conference. And it was just a missions conference for teenagers. Teenagers who wanted to give their whole life to the Lord for ministry. What an awesome thing. And there's this one, one young lady. She was sitting in the front. They went to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and got up at 5 for four days. I can't do that anymore. (laughs) I need my sleep once in a while. But she was sitting there and all by herself. So I went to see her. I said, if I had a penny, I'd give it to you. She says, why? I said, for your thoughts. She didn't say anything. I thought, well, okay. I said, so what are you thinking of right now? She says, I'm wondering why you want to give me a penny for my thoughts. (laughs) So... (laughs) I said, well, I better be a little bit more straightforward. And I'm speaking to the choir. These are girls, guys, teenagers who want to give their whole life, who are saved, as far as everybody knows, their walk. I said, if you were to die today, are you going to heaven? She says, I'm a quarter of the way there. I said, oh, interesting. Well, should maybe half, maybe half. So I said, so what's stopping you from the other half? What's going on? She says, I don't know. I said, oh, yeah, you do. I don't even know who she is. I said, oh, yeah, you do. So I pull out. boy, I got wires in here. Hang on. I pull out my wordless book. I said, what page? And they were all trained in the wordless. I said, what page over here is stopping you? That you don't She said, this one right here. And that's the dark page. Represents sin. I said, so there's sin in your life. Either you're enjoying sin too much or there's something you don't want to get rid of or there's something that's stuck. She goes, yes. Well, we talked and we talked. And you know what that young lady did? She wasn't worried about what her friends were going to say. She was at first. She said, what will my parents say if I get saved? I said, they'll probably be jumping for joy. You know, you fooled everybody else. You fooled your parents. I said, you can't fool God. She bowed her head and she trusted the Lord as her savior. What, a, what an amazing thing. I hope I'm speaking to the choir here, but I don't know that. I don't know that. You know, have you received him as your savior? I hope so. Because as many as received him, did them give you the power or the right or the authority to become a child of God. And, and the next verse, it says here in verse seven, and when they saw it, they murmured and said, he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. They're not worried about Zacchaeus. Nobody liked him. They're, bla- they're talking about Jesus now. How can a guy like that go? was a guy like that. You know? They're complaining. When you get saved, the, uh, don't be surprised if somebody says, yep, yeah. riffraff, they can't forget him. God, God the, yeah, he needed that. Not me, but he needed that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, if people think of themselves or compare themselves to somebody else. Because you can compare yourself to someone else and come out smelling pretty good. Let's compare yourself to Hitler. And you might come out smelling good. But that's not God's standard. Compare yourself to God and we've all fallen short. You know, Zacchaeus in verse 8 stood and said, Lord, behold, half of my goods, everything, half of what I got, I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anybody falsely, I'm going to restore him fourfold I'm going to give him four times as much you know something happened to Zacchaeus he's a new man he promised to restore everything to those people according to the Mosaic law in, in Exodus, uh, Exodus 22 I believe it is and we're not given the exact account of what happened to Zacchaeus and the Lord but you can bet believe that when the Lord talked to someone he always talked to them about their need and about God's remedy for their need He always did. Nicodemus found that out in John chapter 3. When he went to see the Lord and he says, we know that you're a man from God. Nobody can do these things except God send them." And the Lord didn't say, yeah, that's me. No, No, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. So here, verse 9, it says, this day salvation has come to your house and he is also a son of Abraham. You know what? An individual who was saved... Knows they're saved. An individual who is saved knows they're going to heaven. First John five thirteen says, "These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God." We have a no-so salvation. I grew up in in a religious system that well, maybe I think so. I hope so. We'll see when I get there. It's a no-so salvation. But that's what the unsaved. We'll see. You know. If you don't know where you're going before you die, chances are you're not going to heaven. Chances are. Very good. Bible says in John 12, it says, he that walks in darkness does not know where he goes. I mean, those are I'm going to pick on Jack. I gotta, Jack, is that all right? If you would have said no, I would still pick on you. Jack, can you give me directions to get to your house? Of course he can. Why? Because that's where he lives. He knows where he lives. If you ask Jack, can you give me directions on how to get to heaven? You think he can tell? Yeah, he can. Why? Because that's where he's going. A person that's going to heaven knows how to get to heaven. Amen. The Christian knows where he is going. Verse 10. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up. When I say wrap it up, wrap it up. Verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save that which was lost. I mean, there's an ocean's depth of meaning in this verse. And Christians know this verse well. They, they do. They do. And that verse is written in the present tense. You know, the, the intensity of the search of heaven for lost souls has never been scaled down. Never, never, never. Never been scaled down. When somebody is lost in the woods, there's usually a two or three day, every, all hands on deck. I mean, they're out there and they're giving it everything they have. And then after a while they gotta kinda scale it back. It's probably not gonna be a uh, a rescue mission, it's gonna be a recovery mission. So it's scaled down. You know what? That search for lost sinners has never been scaled down. Never, never, never. That's why when the Lord says that they need laborers into his harvest, it's real. It's real. People want to know is there salvation for me? Of course there is. But it's for a certain kind of people. Those that are lost. Those that are lost. Those that are lost. The unsaved will probably you can I can get the unsaved to agree with me that this is the word of God. Not a problem, usually. But you know why they don't get saved? Because they don't agree with God concerning their condition. That they're lost. They don't agree with God concerning their position. They don't see the need of that. How do I know that? Because I was there. I used every excuse in the book to try to justify myself from being lost. What are you talking about? I'm not lost. I'm a religious guy. Yeah. Hell is full of religious people. Yeah. But you know what? I used to teach hunter safety courses with inland fisheries and wildlife. I loved it. I loved it. When COVID hit, that took... that. Anyways, we're not going there. But I I would ask one question during that course How many here have ever been lost in the woods? No hands, yeah? Good, good. But you know, I usually don't get any hands. You know what I get? I I got turned around,
1: Uh, I I lost my bearings.
0: Uh, You know? I got a lot of you. <laughs> but you know what? It's a fact. It's a fact that if someone is in the woods, the greatest determining factor for survival, if they're going to last the night or the next night or the next night, is to admit that you're lost. Because if you admit you're lost, then you're looking for stuff for the night. You're looking for a shelter. You're looking for stuff to, to build a fire. You're looking for things. When an, indi- when an individual admits that they are lost, they realize that the only shelter they have is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that he died and he was buried and he rose again for them. Not just for my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Five years ago, well, five, probably probably a little longer than that now, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's in Canada, by the way, somewhere. There's a five-year-old boy. He got lost in a campground. And one of the largest manhunts took place. One of the largest manhunts. There was coast guards. There was helicopters. There was heat sensors. You name it. They had it. Dogs. They had it. They were looking for that little boy. Day and night, they searched. They searched and they searched. And time was running out because the cold that night was getting there. There were soup kitchens set up. There were there were coffee stands. There, everything was set up. And the parents would look with anticipation and tears would come down their eyes, when they would see some of the rescuers come out of the woods, do they have my boy? Three days had gone by. Three days. So the odds of finding that little boy was not getting any better. So a decision had to be made. Do we scale this down? Do we, do we cut back? What's going to happen? So when everybody was there, everybody was there, the, the news reporters were there, everybody, they had to ask, do we continue? Three days, three nights, some of them no food, some of them never came out of the woods. They were going and going and going. And they were physically tired. It was getting absolutely dangerous for them to even be out there. So the news media was there, and the question was asked, how many of you want to continue with this intensity? Three hands quickly went up. They weren't together, but three hands quickly went up. And the media, others, others also, but those three hands quickly went up, and the media said, what is it with you three? Are you, are you guys related? They weren't related. No. How come your hands went up so fast? Surely you're as tired as everybody else. You know? Or are you, were you related to the little boy? They were not. You know Did you have children of your own? They possibly did, I don't know. But you know why those three men wanted to continue with that intensity? Because those three men were once lost themselves and they owed their very life and existence to a search party who would not quit. They returned to the woods. The little boy was found, but the little boy was dead. But the reason that you and I, Christians, want to see loved ones and friends and families and our neighbors saved is because we know we were once lost ourselves. Amen. And we want them to have what we have. Forgiveness of sins. And there's too much at stake to quit. Too much at stake. You know there's a search party going on that's never been scaled down. Never. 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 And Jesus is seeking out the souls of men and women and boys and girls, and he can seek whosoever would come. You know? The sad thing is is the vast majority of people don't admit that they're lost. They don't admit they're lost. Is it hard to stop praying for somebody? Or is it easy to stop praying for somebody when you don't see results? Yes, it is. You don't see results. But we're told to be not weary and well-doing for in due season. We're going to reap if we faint not. Keep on keeping on. That's why we need to encourage each other. That's why we're here. You know, you don't always come to church to get fed. You come to get a good kick in the pants sometime and get you going. You know, keep going. Keep on keeping on. Encourage each other. With the things of the Lord. And when you're praying for someone, don't give up. You're praying in the will of God. Second Peter 3.9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He's not like you and I. He's not willing that any should perish, but that they all should come to repentance. Every single one of them. And the very fact that you have family and loved ones and friends that are not in the grave and their souls are not in hell right now. tells me the search is still on. It's still on, but the natural man doesn't understand these things. They don't want to get found. The natural man doesn't seek after God. God is seeking after man, according to the text of Luke 19.10. You know, it's appointed unto men once to die. And then the judgment. The search might not terminate, but we might. Our neighbors might. Our family, our loved ones might. That's why today is that day of salvation. When an individual When you know that an an individual has heard the word, has been prayed for, has been brought to the throne of grace, and they reject. What a tragedy that is. What a tragedy. You and I were born in a condition called lost. Lost. We're born in sin. I don't know any. Well, there's no good parents that would teach their kids how to do wrong. You teach them how to do right, but they do wrong because they're born in sin. You know, you're not a sinner because you do wrong. You do wrong because you're a sinner. In sin did I, my mother conceived me. Man says, I talked to a man once at the mill. That's a lot of years ago. And some of those things you still remember. And he couldn't understand anything. I went from Genesis, Adam and Eve, and it was because of Adam's sin. And, and he looked at me and he says, you know what, Roger? It's Adam's fault that I'm born that way. I said, Okay. I'll give you that, but if it's your fault if you die in that condition, because satisfactory payment has been made. And so, not everybody who's lost in the woods is found, because some never hear that voice. Can you be that voice? Some never can grab the hand of the one that's reaching out to them. Can you be that hand? Can I be that hand? When it comes to salvation and eternity and forgiveness of sin, some never never hear what God says. Never. But they're still without excuse. Romans 1 and Romans 2. They're still without excuse. I want to be that voice. I want to be that hand. The neat thing is is if you're not saved, your name is lost. But the great thing is that's what God is saving. Those that are lost. Those that are lost, they need to agree with God concerning. And if you think children can't understand that, let me tell you. I don't even know if I have that. I probably don't have it here. There's a little boy. At Camp Good News, we've got a, uh, what do you call that, a uh, prayer partner letter. Every child has a prayer partner that is praying for them by name. By name. And the headings, we've got a little paper and the headings are all there. Says, dear prayer partner, the thing I enjoyed most about camp was, and then they fill in the blank. Some of them don't want to do it. It's not because they just don't want to do it. They can't write. They can't read. So you're the you're the dictator. You're the you are the dictator you are the you you I'll, I'll take notes. I'll do that for you. Oh, really then you have the whole cabin who wants you to do it. But the thing I enjoyed most about camp was the food. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? The food. You know what I mean? kids don't have food. The food. Or the clothes. Little boy said, the things that camp gives to me. What are the things that camp gives to you? Besides, little boy, that little boy, he put on this paper, um, nine years old, going on ten. That was his age. Nine years old, and then he made sure to put going on ten. (laughs) But the things that God gave, we have a little goodwill closet, just a little thing. And he's got underwear and socks and shirts and pants and whatever else a child would need for the week if they come without it. You know how many times that gets depleted and filled? It's amazing. It's amazing. And that little boy went home with a whole wardrobe of clothes. And the second line of that that, that prayer part in the letter says, God help me too. Fill in the blank. Nine years old going on ten. To understand what he did, it should have been me, but it was him. Tell me. The little boy can't understand. Propitiation. You know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done. <laughs> you know, somebody who discovers that they have a sickness, they want to find out everything about it. It doesn't matter what it is. My dad was never concerned about cancer until he got cancer. And he wanted to know everything about cancer. Cancer took him out. It did. When somebody realizes that they're lost, they want to know the cure. How can this course be altered? What do I have to do? He can't do anything. He did it all. Jesus paid it all. It's like that Philippian jailer when Paul and Silas were in chains. And then, boop, chains come off. Philippian jailer is thinking, I'm going to take my own life because they're going to kill me anyways. The Prisoners have escaped. Hey, we're still here. Huh? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The sad thing is, is sometimes our life doesn't back up our lips. It doesn't. I'm going to end with one verse in Psalm 142, verse 4. The psalmist was at a place in his life and he said, I looked on my right hand and I beheld there was no man that would know me. No man cared for my soul. How many children do you know who think no man cares for my soul? How many teenagers do you think could utter those same words, nobody cares? How many adults could utter that, nobody cares"? nobody cares? Nobody cares. You know, hospitals are full of people who think nobody cares. Nursing homes are full of people who think nobody cares. Our neighbors, our loved ones, we have family members who think nobody cares. We know God the Father cares. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He did nothing about it. Wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't that be awful? For God so loved the world that He gave. He did something about it. The Lord Jesus Christ cares. He went all the way to the cross. When He was in that garden and drops of blood were coming down from His brow, and He said, "If it be possible, talking to His Father, if it be possible." Let this cup pass from me. If it would be possible that Roger Labby could ever get to heaven any other way, but not my way, your way. And he saw the joy that was set before him, what after the cross. And that's why the greatest no was ever given. I know kids don't like to hear no from mom and dad. I know that. I was there. But the greatest no that was ever given was from God the Father to his son when he said, no, it's not possible. It's not possible. You have. This is your cup. It's not possible. But because of that, no. Whosoever would come would have an everlasting life. So God the Father cares. The Lord Jesus Christ cares. He went all the way. And the Holy Spirit of God cares. Because he takes the word of God and makes it real to our life. He takes that word of God. And a child can understand that. Somebody asked me once, I can't, I said, I can't talk to children. I can't. I says, you know why? Because you failed to bring yourself up to their level, that's what you got to do, you got to bring yourself up to the level of a child, that's what you got to do, so the Holy Spirit of God cares for the souls of men, he convicts them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, you know that the devil cares for the souls of men, the devil cares, he's not willing that they get saved, he's a destroyer, he's the accuser of the brethren, if he could destroy everybody's life right now, he would, so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the devil himself cares. Do I care? Of course I care. I go to church. Do you care? Of course. Oh, Do I care? When's the last time I told somebody? When's the last time I prayed for somebody? AT&T. I'm dating myself way back. AT&T years ago, they had a little slogan, reach out and touch someone. You know? When's the last time I reached out and touched someone with the gospel? I want to be like Zacchaeus, not caring what my neighbors will say. Not caring. Oh, I just want to do it. Why? It's required of a steward to be found faithful. Do I care? It's later than I think. It's later than we think. Pastor Henry.